Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church in our midweek service. We are uh, very pleased to have you watching this and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for praying for one another. Um, again, if you'll go to gracewayokc.org, you can uh, download the church newsletter and keep up with things and be praying about future events. And um, also wanted to say thanks to everybody who came and ate lunch with us after uh, last Sunday, July 4th, we uh, went into the gym. That was a wonderful time. And thanks to everybody who prepared and planned. And thanks to everybody who cleaned up. And thanks to everybody who came and brought food and all of that. It was a really, really good time. We'll do some more of those. But uh, now on Wednesday night, as we think about prayer and praying for one another, be sure and get that newsletter so that we can uh, spend some time together praying for people who have needs. And uh, there's quite a few of them right now. So uh, I encourage you to do that. As we've been looking through the Psalms, we've been in Psalm 85. Now this Psalmist, who, whomever he may be, um, this is probably written about the time that Israel has returned from Babylonian captivity. But when they came back, remember, they found a mess. Now, they were probably, and I know we've said this before, overjoyed when uh, Cyrus, the Persian king, said that they could go back and they could rebuild their temple. I mean, don't you know they were ecstatic, the ones that left. Now, a lot of people don't realize not every Jew that was taken into captivity in Babylon, not every Jew went back to Israel. Um, there were a lot that stayed behind. They had learned to live in Babylon. They had businesses. Their kids had friends. You know how that goes. And uh, so they were really, really, you know, reticent to leave Babylon. They stayed behind. In fact, you wouldn't have the book of Esther or the story of Esther if some, like Mordecai and Esther, had not stayed behind. So the group that went to uh, the promised land, that went back to Israel, was, um, you know, it was sizable, but it wasn't everybody. It wasn't all of them who left. And uh, so they go back, and can you imagine as they made that trip, and as they got closer and closer and closer, the um, excitement. Can you imagine how they were feeling? We're going back to the promised land. This is going to be great. And they would sing psalms and uh, some of the really old psalms that maybe David would sing when he was going uh, to Jerusalem. But when they got to the place outside of Jerusalem and they could look upon that city, it looked nothing like it did in their memory. Can you imagine how discouraging it must have been? Where's the wall? There's no temple on the skyline. And as they got into the city, weeds growing everywhere, unkept fields, houses that were falling apart. And I would imagine as they got in there, they looked and they said, wow, this is going to be a lot of work. How are we ever going to get all of this done? And so uh, it was a discouraging time 
And uh, when you go back and try to reconnect, maybe with friends, and you find out that they were murdered by the Babylonians, when you go back and you find your ancestral land and it's been setting fallow for 70, 70 years, I mean, think about that. You've got to replow it. You've got to uh, work that soil. You've got to clear off any, you know, 70 years, uh, a tree can grow pretty big. And uh, you think about if, uh, you know, some type of a tree um, was planted in that, in that field and you think about how big that tree would be now, think about all the work that they had to do. They didn't have any livestock. They didn't have any good fields for growing anything. And so when I look at that and I see that they started the temple, but they didn't finish it for a long time, um, I know it was wrong, but I sort of understand that. I mean, these people had lives they had to live, had mouths they had to feed. They had to get things back in shape. And it must have been very, 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 very difficult for them to do that. Let's read um, what we're going to look at today. Psalm 85, beginning in verse 8. Now, after um, this writer has talked about God's blessings in the past, and then last week we saw where he was praying for God to revive his work, to restore his work now, because they knew that's the only way they were going to be able to do it. In verse 8, we'll just look at two verses today. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace, shalom, to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly, stupidity, sin. Verse 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. So a very simple little outline here. And I want to ask you some questions because all of us pray and plead with God to send revival. Just a couple of verses up, the writer says, will you not revive us again so your people may rejoice in you? Boy, that's, that's good, isn't it? Because that's really what revival does. It brings God's people back to a state where the joy of their salvation returns, where they love the Lord with first love, as Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2. And so uh, we pray that for not only uh, for ourselves, and we pray that for our church. We not only pray it for our church, but we pray it for our community. And not only for our community, but for the metro area. We want to touch all of it. And not only for the metro, but the state of Oklahoma. And not only for the state, but for our nation. Boy, our nation has fallen a long, long way from where she started. And we not only pray it for our nation, because we're not the only people that are here, and the Great Commission is not just go ye therefore into 50 states and preach the gospel. It's all the world. <coughs> and so we realize we're to touch the world for Jesus Christ. And so we pray in this way, 
And yet we wonder, why doesn't God answer that prayer? It looks like to me that God would be sitting on his throne in heaven. And when uh, Greg Keenan says, oh, Lord, send us revival, that the father would say, ah, I've been waiting for you to do that. And down comes the revival. But it doesn't happen like that, does it? In fact, the prayer for revival may be one of the most unanswered prayers that believers have ever prayed. And by revival, I don't mean people getting saved. As uh, an old preacher said, you can't be revived until you're vived. And uh, getting people saved, that's a different matter. Revival is for God's people. Revival is God's people getting saved. And it's not a meeting that a church calls. We're going to have revival. How many times has that ever really happened? Now, we may have had a meeting, and there's nothing wrong with a meeting, but a meeting doesn't guarantee or bring revival, no matter what you call it. In fact, most of them are sadly disappointed. You know, we uh, may talk about teenagers. Well, they go to camp, and that'll last a couple of weeks. It's kind of the way our revival services last, right? Not very long, not very many people where it's a really... Uh, a really lifelong commitment and a really uh, a turning point, I guess you would say, in the road. Um, this psalmist is asking for this, not just so that life might get easier. The work is still going to have to be done. The temple's still going to have to be rebuilt. Fields are still going to have to be plowed. Houses are going to have to be built or rebuilt. But notice here what he has said is, will you not revive your people so that they may rejoice, rejoice in you? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the psalmist is giving us a clue here that life in the promised land was a drudgery. People were tired. You know, uh, sometimes you start working on a project Maybe it's a pile of dirt you need to move and you take your shovel and you get a shovel full of the dirt and it's a good size shovel full and you move it and then you look back and it's like the pile is hardly diminished and you realize this is going to take forever to try to do this. Can you imagine how these people must have felt? We've worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked for days, for weeks, for months, maybe even for years. And you can hardly tell we've done anything. Progress is so slow. And you know, if you think about it, even if you do get the field ready for planting, what if about the time you get it ready, you realize this isn't the time to plant. It's the wrong season for planting. And you're not going to get crops for a whole another year or so. What if you got the field ready, you thought, and you planted, and then you found out later on that there were all kinds of weeds and thorns and stuff like that that came back because maybe you didn't plow it deep enough or burn it off or something like that. And what happened? Your crop is ruined. I mean, any, any number of things could happen in all of this, and the people were discouraged. And it wasn't fun anymore. Have you ever taken on a project, even in church, and it just isn't fun 
anymore. This is why the book of Malachi, sometimes you ought to read that in relation to what we're talking about now. They just got tired and they got bored and they weren't happy serving the Lord any longer. That's these people that we're talking about now. So because human nature doesn't change, even though the times change, human nature doesn't change. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. We are like these people. I want you to think about it. We're like these people. And we do the same thing. We long for God to send revival. <clears throat> we question him. Will you not send it that your people might rejoice in you? Revival's fun once you get past the sin that needs to be confessed. Once you get past all of the brokenness, once you get past all of the things you have to deal with, boy, it's fun to see people get right with God. It's fun to see people relieved of burdens that they've been carried around. Don't you long for that? Well, maybe uh, we ought to take these verses and just ask a few questions. And the first one that I would ask is based on verse 8, and the first three are <laughs> based on verse 8, actually. Will you accept his word? He says at the beginning of verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. I will hear what he will speak. You know, revival doesn't come a lot of times because we don't really want to hear what God has to say. Now, we like telling him what we think, what we want, and we don't really want to hear him. And by that, I'm not talking about some weird thing to where you hear voices or anything like that. I'm talking about, excuse me, going to his word. Now, when people are in trouble, they go to the word of God. Christian people do anyway. They run to the word. They go talk to their pastor. They talk to their friends. What do I do? How do I handle this? What, 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 what does God have to say about this? And sometimes I find that people who do that frantically looking for something in the Bible, I mean, they just thumb through it until they can find something that is relevant to their situation. You know what I find out frequently? They haven't done that in a long time. See, on Tuesday, they weren't really interested in the Word. They read a little devotional, had one verse in it, and then somebody's, you know, sweet, perfumey, syrupy words after that. And then they prayed a little bit, and then they kind of moved on. Thursday, when they got the bad phone call, now all of a sudden they are desperately looking for their Bible. They're desperately looking through that Bible. I must have underlined something. There must be something written in the margin or the flyleaf of the Bible somewhere, and they frantically go through it trying to find something that will ease the pain, something that will help them, something that will give them some peace. And, uh, you know, there are those times when before you get a revival, you've got some sin that you have to deal with. Has to be confessed and forsaken, the book of Proverbs says. He who covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes his sins 
Isn't that what it says? First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, right? And uh, so you've got to deal with sin. And sometimes when you look at the word of God and you go, oh God, show me something from your word. He might just show you your sin. He might show you where you veered off the path. He might show you where you're wrong. Well, we don't like that word, do we? Where you're wrong. And you got to confess it and you got to get back on, on the path, on the trail. And uh, so why did I ask that qu question? People that are in trouble and people that are desperate, of course I'll hear his word, really. It doesn't always happen that way. There are a lot of times people will say, I'm seeking the Lord. And then they look in the Bible and they go, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, I didn't mean that. Well, that's not what I'm looking for. Well, I have to do that. I'll try something else. And so they walk away from God yet again, and they walk away from his prescription once again, and they try to find peace or happiness somewhere else. Try to find it in a bottle through alcohol. They try to find it through pills or smoking something. They try to find it through recreation and travel. You know, what we need is just a good cruise. No, you need to get right with God. Well, what we need is a change of scenery. No, what you need is to get right with God. Are you hearing me? And you're going to take your problems and your trials and your chastisement with you. And so uh, when you are looking in the Bible for something that kind of fits, something that will relieve you, something, you're probably going to get something that is out of context and sometimes misinterpreted. So what I'm going to say is, if you're in a good spot right now, read your Bible. Get yourself ready because there is a trial coming. I've heard it said so many times, you're either in a storm, headed toward a storm, or just coming out of a storm. And you don't have a lot of times the time or the emotional energy to read everything that's in the Bible while the boat is rocking back and forth and the waves are splashing over you and all of that. You've got to be prepared for the storm. And you've got to stand on the promises of God that you already know. Now, I don't mean to imply that God can't teach you anything in the storm because he certainly can. All I'm saying is, from personal experience, I notice that most believers, they wait until they get into a storm. Then all of a sudden, what God has to say becomes very important and they have trouble finding it. Then what the preacher says becomes very important and they have trouble hearing what he is saying because they're not prepared for the storm. So if you're going to go to the Word of God, you better be ready for what it says. Number two, do you expect him to keep his promises? Again, in verse eight, for he will speak peace, shalom, to his people and to his saints. You're his people. You're his saints, the set apart ones, the holy ones, made holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says he will do that. Now, is that just something that we have to wait until heaven to get that peace? Well, I certainly hope not. Jesus told his disciples, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. 
In other words, he was going to give them something now, not just later on, but now. And you're not going to get it the way the world does. How does the world find peace? Oh, distractions, drunkenness, uh, sexual relationships, perversion, drugs, you know, all of that kind of stuff, amusement. They just don't want to think anymore. Do you know what? That's what the word amusement means. In the Greek, whenever you put an alpha in front of something, it negates it. And so to be amused, muse means to think, means you don't have to think. That's what the word literally means. And sometimes we get ourselves in such a mess, we try to do some things where we just don't have to think, where our brain can shut down, where we can be distracted by a roller coaster or whatever it might be, a movie or anything else. That doesn't take care of the problem. Doesn't take care of the problem at all. What you have to do is go to the Word of God. And when you go to the Word of God, you've got to make a commitment you are going to believe and you are going to follow. You're going to do whatever the Word says. And then you've got to be a believer that God is really going to forgive, that God is really going to restore. And sometimes that's hard to believe, and that's not a problem on God's part. Problems on our part, when we hang on to it, when we refuse to live in the peace that he has promised, that's on us. And so that's the second thing that has to happen. Do you really believe God means what he says? Do you really believe he can forgive? Do you really believe he can restore? Do you really believe that he is with you? Do you really believe that he will receive you uh, gladly as a prodigal who is coming back home. Do you really believe the promises in the Word of God? So, thirdly, boy, this is a big one. Will you use the blessings properly? Again in verse 8, but let them not turn back to folly. Let them not turn back to folly. At a church I pastored, we had a veterinarian who was a member of the church. And when I first went there, um, he had kind of a strange Dutch last name. And um, Hudenpile was his name. And I asked one of the staff members, how come I've never seen this guy? Well, he doesn't come very often. Okay. Well, then he started coming. And uh, his daughter got saved, and we baptized her. And I'll never forget, after the service, he came up, shook my hand, thanked me for all I had done for his daughter. And he said, now that's all of our kids. They're all saved. And he never entered the auditorium again that I can remember unless it was for a funeral. He was too busy going to the lake. And in his mind, now that his last daughter was saved, the last pumpkin on the vine, Papa Sam would say, then, you know, what's the use of going to church? We can take off and go to the lake now. And I say that because I've seen that so many times. I've seen people 
that had prayed and asked me to pray for them. Preacher, you got to pray for me that God will give me a new job. I need more money. I'm tired of working where I am. Please pray that. And so we prayed. And you know what? God gave them a new job. The job had more money and the job had more vacation time. You know what happened to them? They weren't more faithful to church. They were less faithful. They weren't more available to serve. They were less available because they used, look at this, but let them not return back to folly. They used the blessing of God to go backwards. They used the blessing of God to go back where they had come from. Now, let me just say this. God does not bless you or revive you or renew you so that you can make a U-turn. He wants you to move ahead. And maybe the reason he doesn't do it is because he knows that his blessings will be used for things that he has cursed. His blessings will be used to take us farther from him and farther from his church and uh, not more uh, involved and with more commitment and with more zeal. So it could be that as you have prayed, oh God, relieve this burden. Oh God, take this away from me. Oh God, change this. That the Lord might be saying, I know what you would do with it if I did. You would return to folly. Maybe you've got a little ways to go before God does this because you haven't learned your lesson yet. You haven't learned what God through chastisement is teaching you yet. You haven't gotten it. And so uh, will you use his blessings properly or are they just going to be used for you to do what you want to do and to go further from God and be back in this mess again? You see, most believers, not 100%, but most believers that I've dealt with, when they get away from God, at least it seems that way, he's still with them, but when they get away from God, it's not the first time. They're repeat offenders. And God is doing something in their life to get their attention and to teach them. You think about all of the times in Israel. How many times did God say, quit worshiping idols, quit worshiping idols. Something bad is going to happen if you don't quit worshiping idols. And so something bad would happen for a short period of time. They would repent for a short period of time. Then when the pressure was off, what did they do? They went back to the idols. And so God finally told them, I'm going to have you uh, taken captive and be out of the land. Uh, well, they didn't really believe it. And then the day happened. Nebuchadnezzar invaded, plundered the temple, and um, they were taken captive, exiled. For that 70 years, the unthinkable happened. And they uh, finally learned their lesson. I mean, give them credit. After the Babylonian exile, idolatry was never a problem. Legalism, yeah. Self-righteousness, yeah. Ritualism, yeah, but never idolatry. They weren't going to go back there and they weren't going to do that again. What is God going to have to do in your life to get you to really repent and to really settle some of these issues where you don't just go back and forth and back and forth. Oh, God is so merciful that he does forgive. It's what we do with his blessings that is so tragic.
And time is running out on us, folks. Every one of us are getting older every day. We're running out of runway. It's time to do business with God now. And then number four, what is your reason for wanting it? Well, I'd like to have all my family together. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but it falls short of something. What would it fall short of? Well, I'd like for life to be just easier. Well, I don't blame you. I like having things go easy and go well, too. Well, I want God to prosper me. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Well, I, I want to be happy again. Okay, I don't, I don't quibble with you on that. We all want to be happy, but it all falls short. Now, I use that term specifically because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the, yeah, glory of God. The glory of God has got to be our supreme motive in everything. <coughs> I don't smoke, even though I sound like I do right now, simply because I don't want to get cancer or emphysema. That's part of it. That's part of it. But I don't believe that it glorifies God for me to do it, and so that settles the issue. And there's several other things that, you know, I have that I don't do that, um, you know, I don't do simply for one thing. I don't think that they bring glory to God. And when the psalmist writes this, he says, we're finally in verse 9, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory, see that? That glory may dwell in our land. And so the psalmist has given us a clue here. It's not just so that crops will grow, houses will be fixed, life will be easier, and we'll all be happy. He says, I want the glory to dwell in the land once again. How many times before had they seen the cloud of the Shekinah glory of God in their midst? Well, every day for 40 years, they would see the cloud, the glory cloud, as it guided them through the wilderness. And uh, when they dedicated the tabernacle, the glory cloud came among them. When they dedicated Solomon's temple, the glory cloud came upon them. They had seen the glory of God. They had heard stories of the glory of God. But uh, at this point, there's not really any glory to be found. And so the psalmist comes down to this last thing. Surely salvation is near to those who fear him. And I think that's a good place to, to ask the question. Do we? Do we have a reverence and an awe of God? Is the gospel something that excites us or just another story, no big deal? And then it says the reason, the purpose, that's what the word that is for, in order that the purpose for it is that glory may dwell in our land. You know, there were times in the Bible when the majority of the people suffered because of one person's sin, didn't they? Achan. If you remember that secret sin? And I wonder if maybe we knew the truth. Is it your sin that's holding back the church from being everything she ought to be? Or why don't you repent of that today? You say, well, my one life won't make that much difference. Well, let me just stop you. It might. 
It might. But then again, it might not. It might not be the biggest thing. It may be somebody else, or it may be just collectively we've sinned against God and we pray for revival. How serious are we about this? Because if we as believers and if our church, if we're not right with God and we're not blessable, that's a sin. That's a sin. And so that means we have not really reverenced and honored God. We, uh, you know, give a tip to him every once in a while and we acknowledge him every once in a while, but we don't really get down to business with him. That's a sin. And why do we want our sin forgiven? So it'll be fun to come to church so that, uh, you know, things will go real well financially and everything like that. Well, I hope they do, but that's not the real reason that glory would dwell in our land. We've got a sick land in which we dwell. And God has called us to be ambassadors for Christ. And if we're not right with God, we can't be that. And if other churches are not right with God, we can't do that. And where will the glory be in our land? It'll be in the church. A church that is spirit-filled, a church that is doctrinally sound, a church that loves Jesus with first love, a church that walks through the open doors that God gives them. That's what the Lord is looking for. Are we? And I guess a better question would be this. Are you? Because you are the church. So something to chew on and something to think about. Why should God bless us? Why should he revive us? Think about these things. I appreciate you tuning in, and may the Lord bless you and speak to your heart through all of this and feed your soul. Thank you again, and God bless you.